Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Hey everyone, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I've been doing the same open for 11 years on these Baseball America podcasts. I'm John Manuel, along with J.J. Cooper. We have Carlos Colazzo here and the ghost from Baseball America podcast past, Matt Blood, the national team director for the 18U program from USA Baseball. Back, he doesn't have his bling with him. We thought we'd have a gold medal here. Come back from Thunder Bay. Couldn't get that through customs, I guess, Matt. But uh, happy to have you here. And uh, I'm sure you have it somewhere, just not here, right? Yeah, my... my- Four-year-old son's wearing it right now. I think Perfect. he might have taken it to daycare for a show-and-tell or something. Well, see, this is just a podcast. It's not a Facebook Live, but I will remind people that our Facebook Lives and podcasts are all sponsored by Baseballism, the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. Shop now at Baseballism.com and enter the offer code BASHIP to receive free shipping on your order. Visit Baseballism.com for hats, shirts, and much more today. And but they have no gold medals, so uh, give give baseballism time. But uh, the U.S. 18U program now has four straight gold medals. Matt Blood, you've been the national team director for two of them, but uh, a lot of gold and a very shiny trophy that I got to see for the World Baseball Classic. No gold medal, but just a there's the eagle, which I didn't see that in the office. Um, but then there was the very shiny trophy, Tiffany's trophy, but the uh, the the World Baseball Classic sends out. So a lot of bling in the USA Baseball offices. This has been a calendar year of gold at 18U, gold at 12U, right? 15U, the college national team won all three of the series that it, it uh, that were the pinnacle for its summer tournament. And, of course, the, the big leaguers with the gold medal back in, uh, with the championship back in March. Pretty good year for USA Baseball, I'd say. Yeah, this is a year to be proud of. Uh, you know, we, like you just said, you just, you just rattled it all off. Uh, basically having as good a success as you can have uh, at each program uh, throughout the year. You know, and winning the World Baseball Classic was, 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 was thrilling and uh, was a great start for our, for our year. And the, the 15U team did well. The 12U team did great. Uh, the college team. And then, you know, we were able to finish this off um, there in Canada. So I, I have to think we're pretty pleased with the way this year's gone. But 18U now, there is this, I mean, you inherited a program that had won back-to-back gold. Uh, anything less than gold would be uncivilized, but this, it seems like, a, I, I, see that, I guess, having that high uh, bar to surmount, if they raise the bar, you guys seem like you were going to clear it by just as much as you possibly could. This team didn't just win gold, it didn't lose a game. Uh, With 13-0? 13-0, including, including, including training, and then... In the uh, World Cup in Thunder Bay, Ontario, where the championships were, nine and zero, forty seven ERA, and outscored teams sixty one to five. So it's kind of like uh, you know 
halfway to a Cleveland Indians win streak, basically, to put it in <laughs> a big league context. But you guys basically uh, big league in the correct sense the rest of the field. You guys were very rarely challenged. I'm sure that wasn't the goal. Did you guys almost – I have to imagine you exceeded expectations by going there and dominating to that level because I can't imagine you expected to outscore Team 61-5. Well, the goal the goal is obviously gold. I mean, that's that's what the USA standard is. Uh, and, you know, that's the first thing that we're after. Um, whether we win by 10 or we win by 1, you know, we, we, we're trying to win the gold medal. It's gold or bust. Uh, but it, it is baseball, and I, I'm, I think I even mentioned this last year, but, you know, to give yourself the best chance to win, you, you want to put together the absolute best team that you can uh, because in baseball, you know, you can run up against one good pitcher and one good team and you could end up, you know, losing your chance to win a gold medal. So, you know, m- my goal with this program is, is to put together absolutely the best team that, that we can. Uh, and, and I think this year... You know, we came pretty about as close to that goal as possible. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say we're pretty pleased with the way it went. Uh, now, now the goal is to keep it going, try to get to five five uh, worlds in a row. Yeah, Matt, you mentioned that running into a pitcher in baseball can be a challenge, and it seemed like for you guys, you were challenging teams every single time out. Uh, I know before this, on paper, the strength of this team was the pitching staff. Can you just talk a little bit about? how you had to go and funnel down uh, from trials to, to finalize your pitching staff. Obviously, a ton of really great, talented pitchers to choose from with this really deep high school class on the mound. Uh, but, I mean, going into Thunder Bay and allowing four earned runs through the whole time really speaks to the to the talent that you guys had. Can you kind of speak to just how talented this group is compared to, to years past? Yeah, the, the strength of the team is, was the depth on the mound, but also – uh, the caliber of defense that we were able to play, um, which those two played hand in hand, as well as our defense played, it helped the pitchers out. And um, you know, go yeah, going back to trials, it, it was really difficult. I mean, we had we had I would say five guys who all deserved to be on this team that in, ended up not making it. Uh, you know, I, I can think of like Lenny Tor- Lenny Torres, for example, was almost perfect during trials and couldn't make the team. And you feel bad for him. It's like, okay, well, who do we take that we shouldn't have taken? And, and there's nobody. You know, it just we just ran out of spots. Uh, so, um, you know, that's one of the harder things about this is, is seeing players perform and do well and not be able to select them and have to tell them, you know, that they're not going to be able to continue on with us. But, um, and to, you know, from a director's perspective, that's what you want. You know, you want a lot of depth um, so that if you do have some attrition, uh, you're you're able to fill, you know, the the next guy up mentality, and the, and the next guy up is just as good as the next guy. So, with that, with the the defense on this team, I mean, you look around, really, just around the diamond, and it was plus defenders. I mean, almost everywhere you every looked. position, which every it, it was every position. We you had a plus defender at every position. Our outfield was three center fielders, um, just spread out across the outfield, plus runners with. Two of them have plus arms. All of them have good instincts. Uh, you could put all of them in all three positions, and they would all be plus outfielders. So ball hit in the air with any hang time at all, it's going to get caught. You know, <laughs> Greg Maddox can get his stopwatch out in you know, three and a half seconds, and the ball is going to be caught. Um, and then on the infield, Nolan Gorman was, was outstanding at third base. Uh, Terang and, and Carter Young up the middle are just uh, – really fun to watch they gobbled everything up they turned some really big double plays and uh 
uh, Casas bailed out our our arms multiple times, and he's he's a professional first baseman. And then our, both of our catchers were both great defensively. Uh, both of them caught the velocity that we had, like they like they were only throwing 80, 85, uh, which was really fun to watch. And block balls, and they both had plus arms, and teams were scared to run on us. So. You know, every single position we did not have we did not have a deficiency defensively. And then on the bench we had Brandon Dieter, who uh, could easily have gone out there and played just as well defensively as the the two other middle infielders that we had. So, you know, we and for we, people who don't know, and I don't think most people do know this, you had a twenty man roster. Mm-hmm. So every team, you know, you're playing other twenty man rosters. But that's you talked about the hard part of the job. The easy part is you know number one baseball country in the world. You're getting to pick the cream of the crop of the high school talent for this team. The hard part is you can only have 20, and you are making a team. You're not making a showcase roster. You're not making a team for 162 games or 56 games or 30. You're making it for two weeks, basically, of games that you really you know that matter the most. So roster composition is difficult, but you also you have to kind of put a premium on some versatility, and I guess the other. X factor for any team, but especially this team, is makeup. You got to find guys who will put that team over self, and that's not all these guys are stars in their own minds. And they were all. I mean, this is an all-star team that you have to get to by a team mentality. So, uh, how have you guys been able to do that year after year? And I guess this year, the coaching staff, Andy Stankiewicz, the head coach at Grand Canyon, former big league infielder, uh, kind of helps head that up with you, but. Uh, what's that process like of whittling, was it 96 guys at Tournament of Stars down to 20 players? That is that is not easy. And kind of how do you rank, where does talent versus makeup versus fit, kind of how do those things all yeah. fit in? Yeah, I mean, ideally you have talent and makeup together, um, but it, it's not easy. Um, we brought 80 guys to the Tournament of Stars, and, and that's the first challenge is making sure that we have the right 80 guys there. And, and that we have information on them before they arrive, so that we're able to give them a full, a full shake. You know, so when there. you're picking those 80 guys, I mean, let's, well, I'm backing it up a little bit, but picking those 80 guys, how many of those guys did you see prior to them coming to TOS? Did you go see them yourself? I know a lot of it is I obviously saw, USA Baseball. You can call whoever, whoever I, you can. Yeah, I probably saw 75% of them in some form before they showed up whether it was in the spring or the summer before or at our national team development program, right. uh, which is a huge feeder for, for this team. Um, we, we, we like to, to really know the guys before they show up. Uh, you know, no surprises. Exactly. Fewer surprises. Yeah, I mean, because I've seen it happen uh, where some really good players just don't have a good week at the Tournament Stars. I mean, Tristan Casas was, was not good this year at the Tournament Stars. Now, fortunately, we had had him the year before. We knew him really well, and you know, people would ask me, well, what's wrong with Tristan? I say, don't worry about Tristan. And I don't, said, don't worry about that guy. He's going to be not, just fine. In terms of not worrying about him, I mean, you had many MVPs, but he's the one. They named one MVP of the tournament. He was MVP of the World Cup. And he Three was. Runs. He absolutely was. I mean, he, he's, he's the one who, who, who slugged us through um, the big games and, and got, you know, we felt like if we could get three runs on the board, we were going to win. And, and three runs felt like a 10-run lead with this, with this pitching staff in right. defense. And, you know, he had a two-run homer against Japan. Uh, he had a huge game against Canada and against Korea the first time, and then obviously in the gold medal game. So the games that were our most 
uh, tightly contested in, in highest leverage games, he was he was right there for us, and that just kind of speaks to his makeup. But because uh, he's he's a professional in everything that he does. Um, but yeah, stepping back uh, to the process and and. In, in how we do things, I mean, bringing in the eighty guys is is it's very um, it's a very long, tedious, and difficult process that never ends. I mean, I'll, I'll be working on it tomorrow, you know, for next year's team mm-hmm. and, and even the next year's team. You know, we're, we're diving into those those kids who are who are in contention for the twenty nineteen World Cup and already and and so um, getting to know their makeup is very important. You know, and it's you would think that everybody who makes the national team would be happy to be on the team and 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 would be okay with whatever role they are given uh, but that's just not the way it necessarily is and so you, you really got to preach that you know this is this is this is not a showcase this is not um, your the, the typical event that these players go to um, this is this is an actual team that's training to win a tournament Against other really high-level teams that do get to practice together, so and that are very motivated. That are very, very motivated. You know, like I said, we have a target on our back, and it, it's pass/fail. You either either win the gold medal or you failed, and so there's a lot of pressure um, that that could be perceived from that if, if not if not approached the right way. But you know, getting to know their makeup and and whether they can handle that team mentality, whether they are guys that we want to represent the United States, you know, on a big stage, the guys that we want to travel with and, and put our, our trust in, you know, to handle themselves like professionals, you know, when the game's not being played as well. Um, that's a big part of, um, of putting together this roster. And, and it, it played into some decisions that, that we made ultimately at the end. But uh, we were really excited about the makeup of this group, um, but it still took a lot of work to – to get everybody on the same page, you know, when it came to at-bats and, and playing time and, and whatnot. And kind of you spoke to Tristan's experience with this team before, but you guys had several other players who have experience with the 18U team and then 15U with Carter Young being the youngest player on the team, but bringing some experience to the table, and then Mike Siani, Jared Kilenic, and uh, who's your fourth one? Uh, Bryce Terang at shortstop. So can you kind of speak to how much that helps uh, either speed up that process having those guys help their teammates maybe buy into the team mentality you talk about and, and just the benefit of having that much returning experience on this team? Yeah, having those those five guys, and I'm going to add Carter Young in there as well, mm-hmm. was uh, was invaluable. You saw it especially in the Japan game, which was you know our second game. We're, we're trying to feel our way into the tournament and see exactly where, how we stack up, mm-hmm. and we know Japan is, 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 is always a, a contender. And so we go into that game – you know, ready to go, and and they threw some arms out there that that were really really difficult. Uh, but you know, Casas and uh, Siani got us on the board early. You know, and um, and then later on, Kelnick you know hit a big double for us, and Terang and Siani scored. So our our veterans are the ones who who got us through that game, um, and pretty much throughout the whole tournament, they were the ones who led us. Siani was the captain of the team and the leader, and and. And Casas is, is the same. He's just a little bit does it in a more quiet way. But mm-hmm. when he does speak, um, you know, everybody listens. Uh, and and then Terang and, and Kellenic both both did a great job as mm-hmm. well. So having those guys was was crucial. Yeah. And then with the Jap- with the Japan game, you guys struck out quite a bit in that one. I know that was uh, 23, po- 23 point chases, a lot of points. It's chases. a lot. Yeah. And and kind of talking to to you and Andy throughout the process, and you know, a big part of it was 
trying to get your players to, to, to buy into this team-oriented approach and not necessarily trying to pull everything or hit everything out of the park like maybe they're used to with the showcase circuit. Uh, how happy were, were you with how they adjusted throughout the tournament and how hard is it to, to kind of switch that mentality as a player when you're used to going all these showcases before you come to Team USA where you're really trying to just showcase what you can do personally as a player? How hard is that to kind of get their mindset shifted. It, it's difficult. We At the end, we ended up being very happy mm -hmm. with the way it went down. And we we have a thing called the National Teen Development Program, which is kind of like our instructional league. We hold it in the summer, and it's basically for our team for the following year. Uh, and fortunately, you know, Terang was there. Carter Young was there this year. Uh, Casas was there. Um, Ethan Hankins. And so we were able to, to get a jump start with some of these guys. And... Um, our hitting coach Greg Ritchie has been there the last two years so we got some continuity there um, so with some of them we were able to just kind of keep that keep that process going and, and the, the learning curve was shortened but mm -hmm. with some others you know we, we had to we had to break them in within two weeks and and that's it's not easy to do but um, to their credit uh, they, they battled and we, yeah we struck out 23 times we knew that if we had a weakness it was that we were very left-handed dominant mm -hmm. in the lineup and we had a feeling that some of these teams were going to throw lefties with a lot of secondary stuff and that's exactly what Japan did um, but he had to earn every one of those strikeouts I mean, we took him deep in counts uh, every every count seemed like it was full this was Kento Kawabata, Kawabata. Strikeouts. yeah and he he pitched a lot in that tournament to to say the least but <laughs> uh, but he he was exceptional that night but but he wasn't punching us out in three to four pitches mm -hmm. 136 pitches in five and two-thirds exactly game. we're recording this on Wednesday I just was watching that Indians game last night and Matt Boyd only gave up one run through five innings against the Indians but the Indians I think he had 117 pitches that's that's pretty analogous. I mean, this guy yeah. had 15 strikeouts, but to get into, not finish sixth inning, but to get into the sixth inning, 136 pitches for this young man. So six it was walks, not, right? Was it six uh, or five? Six walks. Yeah. So it was not easy. It was no. not easy. No. But we had runners on every inning. Yeah. So we had one or two runners on base every inning. And you were saying he had, they were they were all competitive at bats. Very competitive. He wasn't he wasn't dominating any hitter. Now so he ended up striking a, out a lot of hitters. It's a credit to both sides. No doubt. Point. I mean, I that that kid was gutsy that night. We there was an hour rain delay at least right. hour and a half, and he stayed out there and just kept throwing every eight minutes in between. You know, the grounds crew trying to get the field dry. You know, and, and so I'll give him credit. I mean, I think, I mean. He upheld his honor in the very least. I think he threw like 300 pitches that day, to be honest. You know, <laughs> you know, but but he, you and know. Mom, Koshin, he's like, ah, you know, this is compared yeah, to Koshin. He's just training for Koshin. This is yeah, nothing. Exactly. But, you know, we, we obviously wouldn't do that to our guys. But um, we, we took Marceau out right after that first in and put Weathers in. And Weathers did a great job. But, uh, you know. Our lefties battled. And what I'm trying to say is our left-handed hitters battled that game, even though we had some guys striking out three, four, even five times. But they, they weren't going down easy. Mm -hmm. and no one no one who played for the U.S., no one in the lineup played and did not strike out. 23 strikeouts, yeah. so yeah. fairly evenly distributed. I, I want to throw this one quote in before we uh, move off the subject, uh, before you continue, uh, Carlos, where at the end of it, it's on the World Baseball Softball Classic uh, website, the Korean manager said the American team was much bigger and stronger than we are. This always happens with Western players, but I must admit, these kids are also technically impressive. So that probably went through the Google Translate a little bit, A. But B, so it wasn't just um, talent. It was talent and skill is what it sounds like. And 
I'm saying and that kind of right. I'm saying that to kind of juxtapose. I don't want people to just think. Well, we have talked about the showcase aspect, and that's an important mm-hmm. part to bring it up. And we're talking about 23 strikeouts, but this wasn't didn't sound like you guys kind of show were a show and go no. kind of team. And that's that's a great accomplishment for Andy and that coaching staff, yeah. Greg Ritchie, like you talked about. Talk about the base running and as well. Yellow. I mean, our and uh, our, yes. our coaching staff was exceptional this year. Uh, you know, Andy did a great job managing it all uh, and and teaching the defense especially. Uh, Bill Moziello was, you could kind of call him our offensive coordinator right. or, or whatever you want, but he's a he's a, he's a a brilliant baseball Fills that role at TCU yeah. and uh, fills it extremely well. He, his, his philosophies on base stealing and, and you know, when, when to bunt, when not to bunt, which is most of the time, um, <laughs> you know, it, it was just really impressive to watch. Uh, and, and our, our, our players really got an advanced experience when it came to coaching with those two guys. And then our hitting coach, Greg Ritchie, is as, is as good a hitting coach as you're ever going to find. Uh, and the hitters all loved him, and, and they all made improvements with him. And then our pitching coach, uh, Ricky Meinhold, a lot of them knew him from the year before. He's got a great demeanor about him. And, you know, he he, uh, he, he led this staff to less than a fi- .5 runs a game. So I think he did a pretty good job, too. I kind of <laughs> joked around with him, though. I was like, Ricky, man, your job's pretty easy. All you got to do is stand over there, and then when one pitcher throws a ball, you just say, hey, Throw strikes, <laughs> and then he throws a strike. And okay, good, good job. Good job. You know, with, with with some of these pitchers, it seemed like it, it was just amazing to watch them go about their business. But no, he he did a lot more than that. But it was uh, it was just a little joke he and I had. Mm-hmm. That's a good joke. I like that joke. <laughs> and that is you know, knowing kind of dive into some of the players. I mean, that's yeah. the, the thing that when we look back on this, as great as the defense and all was, the thing that statistically obviously stands out, which the defense played a part in it, was. This pitching staff just went out there game after game after game. You know, we John had a scout who basically described it as nine aces. Yeah, no, there's no, Coach, no. Coach Greg Hamilton yeah, of Canada yeah, basically Hamilton, said yeah. one through nine, USA has nine aces they're throwing out there. So, I mean, clearly other teams saw it and respected that as well and honestly probably wish they had that too because when you talk about – Talk about some of those aces. What are What is it that about – what is it that we're going to remember that you're going to remember about this team? Yeah, well, I mean, they, they not only had stuff, but they had uh, command and pitchability, you know, and ability to hold the runners and to stay composed in, in these games. I mean, they, it wasn't just pure overpowering, you know, because cause these teams figure out ways to put the ball in play for the most part, you know, especially the Asian teams. And um, I was really impressed with the way our pitchers pounded the zone. We didn't, we didn't have many walks, uh, and, and they – they competed. Now, they also knew our defense was going to gobble the ball up, and and they did. So we we had a lot of we had a lot of pretty quick innings. Um, but I don't know if you want to talk specifically about each individual guy or, or which guys in particular. But well, I mean, I, the, I think the the guy that we have at the top of our draft rankings is Ethan Hankins. He's the obvious guy to start with. He's pretty good. He's pretty good, and he wasn't the gold medal starter. So I guess I'll, I'll just I, I guess I'll start with. The baseline that is easy for you is that last year, you're, let's just compare out kind of apples and apples. The top high school pitcher coming out of last year's draft class was Hunter Green, who did not pitch for the 18U national team last year. Played third base, but did not pitch. But he was the top high school guy in the class. How, I mean, like, it's unfair in some ways to compare people to Green, who threw the, had the easiest velocity. I think on this podcast last year, he said he had the best arm he'd ever seen. So, and I think that's arguable. He had the best arm in the world, you right. know. 
Um, so Ethan doesn't have that, but what uh, elements, what do you see, what, what have you seen this summer out of Ethan Hankins that could make him repeat what Hunter Green did and be the top drafted high school player, high school pitcher in this class? Um, yeah, well, first of all, you mentioned not the gold medal game. I mean, he very easily could have pitched in the gold medal game, and we, we would have loved for that to happen, but we wanted to get there first. Right. You know? and, and we knew that we had, you know, Matt Libertor also, uh, who we had a ton of confidence in. So it was, you know, pick your poison between 1A and 1B. And winning that Korea game, uh, the first time we played them was crucial because we knew that that would set us up um, to save our save our best pitchers to where we would have them all ready to go in the gold medal game. And same thing as last year. I mean, Hans Kraus right. was the guy who pitched the gold medal game yeah. last year. And wasn't the best prospect on the team, was a good prospect, was mm-hmm. drafted high, but... Yeah. You wouldn't have lined it up probably at the beginning of the summer thinking he would have been the guy, but by the right. as it developed, he was yeah. the guy. Yeah, I mean, we Hankins Hankins is, uh, in my opinion, he's an elite talent. He's got a great arm. You know, not the. It's hard to have the best arm in the world. Mm-hmm. That's one person, but yes. but his arm is right up there. And what's really impressive about him is his, you know, he's six foot seven, uh, but he's a really good athlete. He's got really good feel uh, for his delivery and body control. You know, he's got a, a lot of moving parts, but he, he knows what they're all doing. The six seven Georgia right-hander, he's going to get Wainwright comps. Sure. It's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he can get Wainwright's curveball, then he's going to be a one forever, you know, because he's got the fastball velocity. He's got uh, control of it and, and flashes of pretty good command, and it's a very lively, very lively pitch. Uh, you know, he, he, throw, he throws a breaking ball that's – that's I would say average right now. That it, that's something he's going to continue to develop. It's come a long way since last year, and uh, we were really pleased with it. And the, the changeups developing too. Uh, in in my opinion, he's he's probably the best the best arm in the country um, in terms of prospect status right now. And when you watch Ethan Hankins pitch, if you guys haven't seen him, he has one of the quickest tempos that I've seen mm-hmm. from a pitcher. Um, how hard is it for, to kind of handle that when, when things are tense and things get emotional? I know I talked to Andy after the uh, Korea game, I believe is maybe the, the toughest game you guys had throughout the tournament. Uh, he said sometimes Ethan can get a little emotional, maybe go a little bit too quickly, but what are your thoughts on that up-tempo style that he uses he's and uh, just, how he handles he's it? He's just very invested in the game. Mm-hmm. He's locked in to the game almost, maybe almost too much. I mean, he's a fierce competitor uh, and – he doesn't want anybody to get on base, and when they do, it, he takes it personally. And, and so uh, he works really fast because, you know, he, he, he wants to get them out. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he wants to get them out, get off the mound, get the offense on, and he wants to pitch every, to every single hitter throughout every single game, you know. And, and so that's just part of his, his personality, I, I think. I mean, he, he's just very anxious to go, go and get that hitter, you know, and, and – you saw a little bit of, of the Japanese team, of the uh, the Korean team, trying to slow him down, and 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 he he was kind of jawing back with him a little bit, and uh, you know that that that's a little bit maybe what Andy was talking about, but uh, I mean he's he's young too. I mean he's he's still 17, I think he turns 18 in April maybe, you know. So uh, you know he he's got he's still got upside to him and. Uh, He's he's got a chance to be one of the, the best pitchers in in the world. But looking at last year's team, just because I have it in front of me, I mean the highest drafted pitcher. I mean we're just uh, the level of this year's pitching seems exceptional, not just because of the numbers, but just I from a talent. I mean last year the 
guys who got multiple starts were Kraus and Nick Prado. Mm-hmm. You know, JJ loves Nick Prado on the mound. But, uh, <laughs> Control and command. But Blaine <laughs> Enlow, CJ Van Eyck, Logan Allen, Mitch Stone, Shane Boz was on that team, but he really had a breakout, kind of got better after being on the USA team. Um, I'm looking for, I mean, Hagen Danner, who was drafted, what, as a catcher, I think, right? Um, so this year's pitching talent, I'm not trying to say anything about last year's team. Last year's team won gold, did his job, dominated. But, again, Hunter Green it, didn't pitch. This year's pitching was better than last year. It was exceptionally, yeah. uh, by factor, way way deeper, two. Way deeper and more top-heavy. Okay. I mean, our, our pitchers last year did a great Nine job. Nine aces. <laughs> yeah. Our, our, their pitchers last year did a great job, but... Uh, this year's group was on a different level when it when it came to stuff and and pitchability and dominance. And Carlos, I think was it you or was it uh, Michael and Anna in our last podcast about this talked about Libertor? I think we both talked about Libertor. You guys are both, both on Team Libertor. Yeah. I think my first my first look at him was uh, at the Under Armour All America game when he just dominated for three innings. Uh, yeah, because he was held yeah, back. He was like, go. the, if it, it goes extra innings, we're going to extra use innings. It. Yep. Uh, and he, his approach to the game is really interesting from my perspective, just talking to him about how he kind of goes about pitching. He seems like a very cerebral type guy, but what about Libertor makes him so effective for you? It seems like he's got really good control of three pitches and just goes after hitters. He's similar to Hankins in the way that he's got really good feel mm-hmm. for his delivery and for control and, and his, his secondary stuff. He's, he's very competitive as well. He's, he's, he's an interesting kid because he's, he's not like that off the field. Like off the field, he's... He's a left-hander, put it that way. <laughs> you know? and, and he's a, he's, a, he's a joy to be around, but but on on the mound he's very intense. Uh, he's very competitive. Uh, he want he takes it personally, and and um, you know he like I said, he, him and Ethan were were both dominant, and either one of them we would have felt I mean, we would have felt comfortable with almost every one of our arms on the mm-hmm. mound, but but those two give us the best chance to win. Six and, scoreless uh, for yeah. Libertor in the gold medal yeah. game. And against um, Mexico, same thing. And, and it's against a Korean team that is fairly physical. And so they, you, know, you think of the KBO, JJ, we think of it as big boys who bat flip, and it's a power approach. And just talking to a scout this week, he said, yeah, in, in the last 15, 20 years, the Korean amateurs have Look, evolved. It's not you know, since you chew when South Korea won it in 2000, 2001 in Edmonton, and he was the MVP of that tournament. He was the good, he was the exception at the time though as a power kind of approach. The, the Korean team was really good. Right now, position player wise, we we they were the team that we targeted as this is the best offensive team. Here. Right now on the mound, we thought Japan was a little scarier. Maybe that was because Japan had a lot more lefties, mm-hmm. and we knew that we knew that the Korean team's best arms were all right-handed. Now that one guy like a good matchup. Guac, Guac was outstanding Guac. because he had Best that split, split changeup that that really gave us some fits. Uh, but, but the Korean team was really good. I mean, their shortstop, he's a prospect. He's probably going to – Yeah, it was G1 Bay signed with the Braves. He has an, it's not official, but well, he, he's, he's going to be a major leaguer. Yeah. I mean, he's good. He can run. He's a 60 runner. He's got a 60 arm. He can play shortstop. Hawk Julie type. I'm, I mean, I'm on him. You know, just just watching him from a scout's view, uh, I, I would be very. I, I thought he was the best international in. prospect. Well, he w- he would be the first guy I would have taken <laughs> gotcha. off of all the other countries. He's he's the first guy I would have taken. Uh, and then they they just had a, one of their hitters, the guy who hit the double off of us uh, in the first inning. I think he was the first pick in the draft for the Korean just draft just yesterday week, yeah. or or something. And and he 
he's a really good hitter, and they also their DH. I mean, they they, they were a strong offensive team, and you know our pitchers and our team made something that's really difficult to do look fairly easy. And, right. And and it's not that easy. It's really not. Uh, and and that's just kind of a testament to how good these guys were. Yeah. The um. The Japanese team, like we said, very outstanding on the mound. Uh, the U.S. team, a little bit deeper on the mound. Um, th- those, those two starters that we started off talking about, um, you guys had to have a, you had to have some variety. Like you said, your pitching staff. You talked about the game that was rained out, or the rain delay, I should say, against mm-hmm. Japan, where Landon Marceau started, and then Ryan Weathers, the left-hander, another left-hander. Uh, that was, again, for a top-level opponent, number one world-ranked Japan, J.J. Number um, one world-ranked. That's important. We're waiting for those rankings to update. I can't imagine that's going to still be the case. But, <laughs> but so whether son of a big leaguer, um, what made him the guy that you put kind of in that, in case of emergency, break glass and break out Ryan Weathers' role? And uh, How nice it to have Ryan Weathers in that right. role. Yeah, exactly. It's a kind of, well, kind of fun he was the guy we trusted as, as much as anybody. We knew that we knew exactly what we were going to get out of him—a focused competitor who's going to throw strikes with velocity from the left side and a good breaking ball, you know. And, and we could have easily started him in one game, um, but knowing that we only had a few lefties, you know, we want—we we just kind of wanted to hold him as our ace in the hole, just right. in case. You know, you, you never know in these type of events what's going to happen. And so we had it lined up, and I actually talked to him. Uh, during our training phase, and just kind of told him what we were thinking about for him. Like, hey, you're not, you're not slated to be a starter, but that's because of how, how much we respect and value having you available at any given moment mm-hmm. in this tournament. And it ended up being exactly what we needed when, when Marceau had to, couldn't pitch again after that long rain delay. He said, like, okay, well, now we got our backup plan, which we had all along, ready to go just in case something like this happened. And he rolled out there and did exactly what we thought he would do. Uh, and then the same thing against the same thing happened against Korea, right? You know, and Marceau, Dieter, and Kumar Rocker were your other three starters. Landon Marceau, he started only that one game. Kind of after that one inning start, kind of went into more of a kind of a, a again a bridge kind of middle relief role. Well, we we had Rocker and, and Marceau were the two other starters that really hadn't gotten enough work yet. Right. So we went into that Canada Canada game in it with a similar mentality as we did the Japan game. With a very physical we, again, we were, Canadian lineup, a potent. They Canadian were lineup. they were probably the second best offensive team. You know, we, we, we like Korea's offense and we like Canada. We like both of theirs almost the same. Um, no, Canada's pitching wasn't as deep as some of the other teams, but their 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 offense was was very good. Um, so and, we, and a little extra, they're playing at home. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Never hurts. And, and you know, we went to that game knowing that we had both Rocker and Marceau fully ready to go. And so we started Rocker, knowing that Marceau was in our back pocket in the in the case that we needed to break the glass. Was that was that just like almost like let, let's compare and contrast the 5'11", 180 right hander with the six four two sixty yeah. right hander too. Uh, I mean, not really. It was just that that's just the way it broke down. I mean, if if Marceau had been able to go seven against right. J- Japan, right, then everything gets pushed back a little bit. I'm just know? endlessly fascinated by Kumar Rocker because he yeah. is just so you and the Japanese the media. <laughs> the Japanese media followed him around everywhere. Really? Oh yeah. Well, apparently his name means bear. 
Oh, okay. How did and Kumar handle that? Great. He handled it great. And there, there was one. I mean, they, they would ask, "Where's Where's Kumar? Where's Kumar?" He's over there. They'd be They'd be videoing him through the the, the screen just during a game, and he's just in the dugout. <laughs> That's fantastic. They They interview him, and they'd be like, "Can you Can you make the sound of a bear?" And, <laughs> you know, and and oh, yeah. Gosh. So, uh, yeah, they loved They loved Kumar. So How was Kumar the American media there? I'm sorry. That's a, That's a joke. We weren't even there. We were sort of there, but yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe <laughs> next time. Yes. Maybe next time. Maybe we need to host this thing in the States and you guys will come. <laughs> Make it happen. Make it so. We, uh, I'll but, work but, on that. But, and then Brandon Dieter was your other starter. Um, again, again, uh, he's kind of like the 10th man in a way, wasn't he? I mean, yep. He, he, he was the 10th man on both sides. Right. And, and not because, not because not he was the best. worst. Yeah. Yeah, it's because of, of his role and, and his makeup too. You know, that person has to have a, a special type of makeup and we knew that he did. Um, we could have started him against just about anybody and, and felt like we were going to get all zeros. That, that, that kid is really impressive. Uh, on the mound, he knows, he knows exactly what he's doing. Um, he's very similar to Marceau. Uh, but also defensively, he's, he's as reliable as you're going to find, and he puts together quality of bats. You know, it just so happened. You know, that he was our, he was our next man up. In the field, we didn't need him because we didn't have an injury uh, of, of any type. But uh, if we had, I, we would have felt great putting him in there. And, and on the mound, you know, we kind of targeted him for that uh, Australia game, uh, knowing that um, if it did mean something, then uh, he would he would dominate him. Mm-hmm. But that also allowed us to keep Libertor ready for the next day, uh, you know, to go against Korea. So he he was he was an invaluable piece to this team's. And, and he, he embraced that role, which is really uh, nice to see. I'm going to give you a quick, on, on, the, on the rotation, the quick best tools, best fastball out of those five Hankins. Guys. How about best curveball? We'll separate curveball and slider. Out of the starters? Out of the, out of the starters. The best curveball. Yeah. Uh, I'll go with. Or if they're not a curveball, you can. I'll go with Libertor. Okay. Um, how about best slider? Is there Will a slider Cox. in that group? Okay, because I don't think we talked about Wilcox much. Um, about Cole yeah, Wilcox. Cole Wilcox through nine innings, struck out seven, allowed one unearned run. Shoot, the slider's hard, though, because, I mean, Marceau has got a filthy cut slider. Uh, I said we break it to the whole pitching staff. Rock, all these guys are... Rocker's got a, a plus slider in the, in the upper 80s. I bet he probably has the best one, to be honest. I mean, so does JT Ginn, mm-hmm. which is kind of silly. I mean, JT Ginn threw the least number of innings for us, and he's probably got the best stuff as well. I mean, right. I mean, he's filthy. Yeah. He, um, he was on the mound for the final out. Right. Uh, I mean, the, he got four appearances, and I told him that any time that there's a big game, he's going to pitch. And he did. He pitched four games, and they were all the big ones. And it's because he's he's lights out. He's absolutely lights out. Is, is Landon Marceau best changeup? Marceau's best changeup. Yeah, I would assume he also get best control. Yeah, our, our best three changeups were his, uh, Dieter, and um, – a Libertor. I'm just thinking, JJ. Maybe I'm wrong, but like 15 years ago, it didn't seem like high school kids who are seniors had changeups. Now you get three yeah. that you're talking about. I'm sure no, there are more. It, no, it is. It, but it, the advanced polish seems it, it is significant. The polish is amazing. And but again, you talked like when you talk about these are the best lineups we saw. These are the best pitching staffs. But the thing that did stand out from what I watched, and obviously Carlos, you, you saw every, you were there for every game. Carlos watched every game. I didn't watch every game, but the difference in pitching. The difference in the physicality, the difference in that basically your staff was a group of guys who, in most cases, 
if they wanted to, could you know they didn't because they pitched, but they could just blow guys away. I mean that maybe. I mean I don't know. I mean, Korea, Hankins Hankins has that type of fastball mm-hmm. where he can he can blow you away. But those teams are smart and they'll cheat. And if you don't have a secondary pitch, they'll figure it out. And and Korea, if you saw in the game when Libertor started, they early on thought, okay, he's just going to throw fastballs, mm-hmm. and, and they got it. They got a few hits, and then he's like, okay, I'm going to start mixing in the rest of what I got. And then a couple they, hard outs as well. Yeah, and well, I mean, they got two guys on in the first, mm-hmm. second, and third. Uh, they got a double off the wall. But uh, once once he started mixing in his curveball and his changeup, then they were all confused, and and he dominated the, you know the rest of the way. But um, I wouldn't. Some of the teams, yes. You know, some of the teams you can just if you got a guy throwing in the low to mid nineties, uh, he's gonna he's they're gonna overpower. But uh, you know, they figure out ways to to get the ball in play or to put pressure on you. You got to throw strikes, uh, and you know, fortunately, we had a whole slew of guys who did that. How how much did it, did it stand out? Um, we've talked so much, and if you're a baseball fan, all you're hearing about is three true outcomes in the major leagues. Home runs, walks, strikeouts. How different is the international approach? How different are the offensive approaches for Japan, Korea, et cetera, Canada, Cuba, versus? Uh, and how long does it take? The, your, did it take your team long to adjust to that? I mean, their their approach is to put the ball in play to get the guys over. It's a little more know, old school. It's approach. a little more old school. It's a little more small ball, uh, and and so you, you got to pitch. You know, you you can't just. You can't just throw hard because they're going to figure out a way. But um, our our guys did fine. Our, our coaching staff, um, you know, helped them along the way, and and fortunately, they all had enough variety and stuff to to really give this these other teams trouble. And Carlos, I think you mentioned this earlier. Uh, maybe it was off air, but to, we didn't do, I don't I don't feel like we mentioned it enough. Ethan Hankins did have. They had 27 strikeouts in, right. what, 12 innings? Three hits allowed? 13 yeah. and 14. So pretty, pretty dominant right. uh, effort for Ethan Hankins throughout. And this is a guy who um, didn't think he had made the team after his <laughs> trials performance, Matt. So yeah. we were trials were in, were in Minnesota. Uh, Carlos, why don't you take us a little bit through the position players? You've watched all these games, and I feel like I'm talking no, too much. No, you're fine. But uh, a pretty – I mean, that's the thing. We're talking about how great this pitching staff was. But the lineup and the defense by these guys was outstanding as well. Yeah, just four errors for the whole tournament. I think the fielding percentage of this group is the best in at least seven years from the 18U, just from from the big events uh, that you guys are playing every year. But one guy I wanted to touch on that I don't think we've talked about a lot uh, is Mike Ciani, who's your leadoff hitter, center fielder, captain, uh, and a guy who really disrupts things on the bases. Um, and, and it seems like the whole the whole tournament he was your consistent hitter, kind of getting things started. Uh, when you guys were maybe struggling a little bit offensively, he would find a way to get on base, uh, get things started with he's his He's a feet. grinder. Uh, he's a really tough out. Uh, he, he's going to battle in there. He's got a great approach. Mm-hmm. You know, he can, he'll can he go oppo when he needs to. He can also pull it. Uh, got great bat speed and strength. Uh, you know, he, he did a great job for us. He took walks. He, he Whenever he did put the ball in play, he would beat out the double plays, mm-hmm. which was big in the Korea game. I think he did it twice, and both times I think he ended up scoring. Uh, I mean, he he led the I think he led the tournament in runs scored. He, or mm-hmm. I know he least he led us. Yeah, he had twelve for yeah. you guys, and I think the next closest was eight with Justin Cassis. So right, and so I mean, he he was you know he's a returner and and he's a great kid, make up through the mm-hmm. roof. 
uh, and and the kids really looked up to him, and and he was our our vocal uh, leader. So. Um, yeah, I really couldn't have asked for anything more out of him. Definitely, and then kind of just going through the lineup, uh, Carter Young played second base for you guys the whole time, and I think led you in on base percentage. How impressive is it for a guy young. who's literally the youngest of youngest you, of the team? Which is why I call him fitting it. <laughs> young Carter is yeah. is actually what I call him. Young Very Carter. Cool. He's he's a he's a just a little baseball rat, and he loves to play. Uh, he's, he actually can catch a little bit too, mm-hmm. uh, which was another value that he brought to this team. If we had an emergency situation, he could run back there, but. Uh, you know, he played on the 15U team last year in the World Cup, so he's got experience beyond his years, and mm-hmm. um, he, he's a he's a very dependable, consistent, quality at bat guy, which is why you hit in the two hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, he walks a lot, uh, he puts the ball in play, uh, and grinds at bats, and, and I think he ended up leading our team in on base percentage. Yeah. But um, you know, he he's got a chance to play on this team two more years because uh, he doesn't turn 17 until next year. Uh, so um, he, he got a chance to be a leader on this team for a while. Yep. And then kind of just stepping through the lineup, I guess, Jared Kellenick, he's a guy who's been around with you mm-hmm. for a little bit and seems yep. like he might be one of the best pure hitters in this high school class. He, said he's, that's fair. he's just one of the best all-around tool packages mm-hmm. you know, in, in this class because um, you know, he, he, he's outstanding defensively, run, throw. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got great power, but it's not, it's not this lofty, manufactured power mm-hmm. it's it's part of just how strong he is and he hits line drive home runs yeah uh which is really impressive seems uh, like he's got really great balance at the plate and just doesn't ever pull out on anything just got a very good approach up there yeah he's, he's got as, as good a chance as anybody mm-hmm. to hit and he's gonna hit for power then Nolan Gorman probably didn't have the tournament he wanted to have, but picked it at third base and might be one of the best power hitters in the class as well. What are your thoughts on him just overall it's, as a player? It's a dynamic bat. Dynamic. He's he's gonna he's gonna hit a lot of home runs. Mm-hmm. Um, he he really came a long way uh, with going opposite field mm-hmm. while he was with us. Uh, I think it was something he wasn't um, used to doing much of. And I think by the end of the tournament, he had five base hits oppo mm-hmm. um which which is something i'm really uh, yeah. proud of you know with in him uh, yeah he had some struggles but he, we saw some really good left-handed pitching yeah. and you know he he battled through it and, and that smile on his face after the double against uh korea in the ninth inning uh was was made the whole thing <laughs> the whole thing my whole trip was made right there i mean he was so happy and seeing the, the perseverance and um, man, what a great job he did defensively. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a plus defender at mm-hmm. third and um, power hitter, major leagues. All right, very cool. And then right beside him, Bryce Durang was really consistent for you. You said he can hit pretty much wherever you wanted him to in the lineup mm-hmm. if you chose to. Can pick it at shortstop, obviously. And for us, he's the number one player uh, in the class from yeah. our last rankings. Yeah, I mean, he. Well, first we'll start with his defense. He. He was exceptional at shortstop. Um, you know his range, his instincts, uh, his routes to balls. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know he, he, in my opinion, his arm plays better than what you would just give it as a raw tool grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know which would probably be average, but uh, his release and his his understanding of, and his, his clock. Um, he he knows when to get rid of it quickly. He knows when he's got time to mm-hmm. plant and throw. Uh, he he's, he can throw from all angles. 
uh, he, he, in my opinion, he's a shortstop. Yeah, and we were talking. A, we were talking to the guys uh, earlier. Actually, I don't think I'd seen him actually let loose because I've just never seen yeah. him have the opportunity to, to need to show it. It seems he did like, it a couple times in the gold medal. Yeah, game. in the and, hole, he goes in the yeah, hole and he'll yeah. show it. But it just seems like he gains ground on the ball well. And, that very well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a legitimate defender, and then you know, offensively, um, he he started out a little slow, and Mike Ciani kind of grabbed the leadoff spot and never let it go. Yeah. And, and leadoff is really where I think uh, Terang belongs because mm-hmm. he's another grinder type who will, will make a pitcher work and he'll take walks and and, and then he'll he'll get his base hits too. But uh, you can only have one leadoff hitter. Mm-hmm. And with us being so left-handed dom- dominant, you know, we didn't want to go three or four lefties in a row. So yeah. we had to figure out a way to, to space them out with our, our one right-handed hitter and our two switch hitters. Uh, so, um, you know, he wherever he batted in the lineup was really just a, a mechanism of, of roster uh, or lineup management. Mm-hmm. But, no, he ended up leading the team in hitting, which was no surprise. Uh, you know, every single game he's getting one, two hits, and uh, you know he's a he's a he's an absolute menace on the on the base pass. Mm-hmm. He's got great instincts and plus base stealer, and he's a gamer. Uh, Great kid. Yeah, and another guy who fits a lot of these categories is Alec Thomas, who's mm-hmm. the last outfielder that we haven't touched on yet. He went perfect five for five uh, on the bases, stealing for you guys, and then three sixty one throughout the tournament. Yeah, great tournament. And he, you know, what he did really well was two out RBI. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, I think he maybe four times he he had a knock with two outs and one or two guys in scoring position uh, against Cuba. He did it. Uh, I, that was the first one I remember, but. I mean, he, he had a great tournament, and uh, defensively, you know, he's as good as you're going to come across. Yeah, it seems like you could have thrown him in center if you wanted oh, to, easy. and he'd be fine. Oh, he, he's he's a big big league center yep. builder. Yeah. yeah, he's going to be an above average one. Cool, and I think the last two guys that we haven't talked about, well, three actually, if we talk about uh, Reynel Delgado as your uh, designated hitter, a guy who can hit from both sides. Uh, I think you said he uh, was willing to play outfit for you guys. Yep. It's not really a position mm-hmm. he normally plays. can play basically anywhere in the infield if you needed him. Yeah, we, we found him. We found him. I say we've known mm-hmm. about him, but yeah. but he he came to our NTIS and got selected to our NTDP this year, uh, which is typically for the for the next year players. But he came and I told him, you know, we have one spot open for the trials, but it's mostly an outfield spot. And he said, okay, well, give me an outfielder's glove, and I'm an outfielder. You know, <laughs> the rest awesome. of the week, and that that you know that's that's the attitude you're looking. for. That's that team mentality that we're looking for, and that really impressed me. He went out there and did a good job, and he hit really well. And uh, being a switch hitter was was another value because we needed that guy that could hit right-handed, mm-hmm. but also switch around a lefty if if they did have a tough righty. But um, you know, he he did a great job. He did a great job for us. We knew that if if we needed him to, he could play on the dirt too. Uh, so I mean, he was a, he was a really important piece of this puzzle. The, the Cuba game, he really went off. He's from Cuba yeah, originally, that was a cool and, story. and that that was a that was a pretty neat moment to see him perform the way he did in that game. Very cool. And then another switch hitter, who his approach to the plate is just awesome. Is Anthony Siegler and did a lot of good work for you behind the plate. Uh, he got the bulk of the time behind the dish. What does he bring to the table as a switch hitter, a guy who can get on the mound and throw from both sides as well? I don't know if you plan to use him there, but. If you needed him, I'm sure he. You know, maybe in some other years we would have used him, but yeah. we we only threw JT Ginn three innings, so <laughs> <laughs> we weren't gonna we weren't gonna throw Anthony I'm out there you. whenever we <laughs> had whenever we had JT and Denneberg and those guys uh, ready to go. But mm-hmm. um, you know, first and foremost, he was he was um, a stopper defensively. 
you know, he, he handled our pitchers well, um, blocked uh, through through the ball. He's got a plus arm. Uh, he's an athlete back there. Uh, but, you know, at the plate, he was a quality of bat. Now, his batting average wasn't great. Mm-hmm. I think he had some bad luck on the old BABIP. But um, <laughs> he actually... I think there's no such thing as old BABIP. It's only on the new BABIP. <laughs> but four, for 20, four for 22, right. but, but a 419 on base. Right, yeah, but, 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 but his on-base yeah, his on base percentage was uh, the best on the team. Took a ton of walks uh, and, and got on base for us, and, and he did a great job. And then how nice is it to have a guy like Will Banfield yeah. as your backup catcher? Yeah, Will Will could have caught every game for us too. Mm-hmm. And we would have been just fine defensively. Will was was as good as, as anybody there. William um, William Banfield the fifth. The fifth as it says on the roster. That's right. That's right. And and you know, he displayed that that seventy arm that he has and, and he catches velocity like it's nothing. And uh, you know, he, he offensively he, he struggled a little bit here and there, but he took his walks also. Uh, he ended up hitting a home run, mm-hmm. you know, against South Africa, which was awesome. And um, you know, he he was he was right there with us. He was he was a great uh, great played a great role in this team. Have you talked about Nolan Gorman yet? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, Did we I, talk I, about Casas? I'm so, I'm, we talked about him earlier, but we didn't go through him just now. But if you I'm want just, to touch I'm on him, I'm just fascinated by those two guys. Was those those two corner power bats? Yeah, the best power bats. Well, you I mean like the top of the draft is usually the high school up the middle player and then the big high school arm. Mm-hmm. So here's two corner power bats who um, feels like Matt they have such long track records Tristan Costas has been famous for a long time and Nolan Gorman basically won every high school home run derby he seems like he's ever entered (laughs) Um, and plays an outstanding third base these two guys just really seem a little different than the average high school corner power bat. Is that fair for me to well, one thing have that, higher expectations for them? Well, they've got unbelievable raw power, which, you know, every year there are some guys that have unbelievable raw power. Um, both of them take their hitting very seriously. Um, but then take it a step further, they both take their defense very seriously, mm-hmm. uh, which I think that's that's the, the difference with these kids. I mean, I think – Gorman could be a gold glove third baseman, and I know Costas will be a gold glove first baseman. I mean, he's he's he takes his defense as seriously as he takes his hitting, uh, and he takes his base running that seriously too. And he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he works at it very intently. Right. And we've and, seen Tristan play third base, and he might not play that moving forward, but to see him move around as well mm-hmm. as he does for mm-hmm. as big of a guy as he mm-hmm. is, is and really impressive. he pitched for the team last year. He did. Yeah, so he, he did. everything. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, he, he's a baseball player. He, he's not just a, a power hitter. Uh, he, he wants to be a, the complete package of a hitter. Uh, he, he's very – he works very hard on going the other way. Uh, he knows the strike zone, uh, and he's he's got – Ridiculous power. And whichever game it was where Gorman drops to the nine hole. I mean, that happened with Blake Rutherford two years ago on the 18U team. He wound up hitting a grand slam against Japan out of the nine spot. But the way one of these scouts put it to me is like, this guy, Gorman, could be the top player in the class. Mm-hmm. And he's hitting nine hole with that kind of you know, power. Well, during trials, he went on a tear. You know, against some of the pitching that he was facing, too. Right. The pitching he was facing was outstanding, and he was... He was red hot and and really really put himself there near the top of the draft. Um, and then we went to Canada, and he saw some a lot of left-handed breaking balls and off speed and 
got himself into a little bit of a funk. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Kawabata guy got him a bunch of times. Uh, and so it took him a few days to kind of clear his head of that and to, and to work back to trying to hit the ball opposite field and, um, you know, get back to where he can make contact. And I think that may be the roughest, most difficult stretch he's ever gone through, which I think was probably a good thing for him. Right. And, and he came out of it at the end. Uh, you know, in, in the last three games we played, uh, he was a big part of us offensively. So, um, you know, he like I, I think I think he's got a chance to be a four a four tool guy, and the speed actually is better than you'd think. Uh, so, um, top of the draft is not out of the question with him. The, the thing that stands out, you know, looking down the road for these guys and looking at the guys who have done this in past years. This really is something that for them, like we talk about having to go through these adjustments, having to, having to adjust not just to a team-first approach, but also having to adjust to, okay, I wore it today, now i got to come back out tomorrow and, you know, and put this behind me. It really is essentially a taste of what they're going to be facing down the road in a, in a, in a very highly competitive environment in games that really matter. I mean... There's a lot of development that these guys go through during this this stretch with Team USA as well, is there not? No, no doubt, no doubt. This is this is the most developmental time that these players are going to get. You know, at, at this age, uh, they're around high-level coaching, and we're playing baseball games, you know, to win games as a team. You know, and. and Takes some players longer than others to get it. I mean, Casas gets it. I mean, he, he had one game. I was sitting with him, and he went over five. And I was sitting there with him. We won the game, and all of his at bats were productive. You know, and and he was a man. I think that's the best over five game I've ever had. <laughs> you, know, he, you know, and he wasn't thinking about I was over five. He was thinking about I was able to help the team win with each one of my overs, uh, and and that's. When you when you finally get that as a hitter and you know that you're a good hitter, you know, and you know that everybody everybody else knows that you're a good hitter, and you don't necessarily have to go four for four in order to be a good hitter, um, you can go for five and still be a good hitter with your bats. That's that's when the maturation process really uh, starts to show itself, and and he's there. And you know, there's some guys that need to work to get there, but um, being with this team is one of the one of the best experiences that a kid this age can possibly have in, in getting towards, um, you know, their ultimate goal of playing in the major leagues. Uh, you know, something that is difficult with with this group is that, yeah, we're, we're trying to play as a team. We're trying to win a gold medal. We're trying to develop. We're trying to teach them things. And they're doing all that while also being watched by scouts, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so they, they're, they're aware that everything that they do is being noticed and getting out of their comfort zone while being watched by scouts is a – it's a difficult thing, and and so they just have to trust you know the process and trust us and and know that you know it's going to be better for them in the end even if even if they they struggle a little bit early, you know if if, if they if they really buy in then the good things are going to happen. So if this was we're putting on the cover of the magazine best eighteen U team ever, the wrap up if, we're, if it's the best eighteen U team ever is this going to does this help produce one of the best high school draft classes ever? I mean. You've scouted for, what, eight years with the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, you covered the draft here for a year. How does this high school class, having been around 80 of them at Tournament of Stars and many more all year, 
how does this high school class shape up in your mind? You could throw a 2080 scale grade on it. I mean, on a, if with the 80 being uh, you know, the first 10, uh, eight of the first 10 players say are, are high school draft picks, that might be an 80. It's eight out of 10. What's where, what kind of grade you throw on this draft? On this yeah, as I mean, a draft class. I, Not yeah, this, this team. This team but the whole draft well, class. For, yeah, this team. It has to be at least in cons- consideration for one of the best. I mean, it's the only team to go undefeated since 1989. We also went undefeated in our training. Um, you know, I didn't I haven't seen all those teams, so I'm I'm not exactly sure where it fits. But statistically, you know, it's as dominant a team as I think this program's had, which is awesome. Uh, but when, how it translates to the draft, uh, you know, I guess. We're right here, right here next to it. So we feel like every one of these guys is going to be a first rounder. But um, you know, there will be other players that that, that pop up. Uh, and Mackenzie Gore wasn't on this 18 right. team last year. Wound I, up I think third overall. I think the difference between this team and years past is that this year we actually were able to get all the guys that we felt like belonged on this team. Uh, we we didn't really uh, miss on a, on an arm. Um, leaving a guy out there uh, where like last year Gore we weren't able to get but um, you know I do think that this draft class is better though than than, than some in the past so you know I, I guess you could go conservatively a 60 or if you if you want to you want to get aggressive you could say it's a 70 because um, it's an unusual college class I mean just every the, the top of the college class are some corner bats like Baker and beer some undersized players like a Madrigal pitchers who didn't pitch this summer. I mean, like Brady Singer's, you know, he's outstanding, but he didn't sign out of high school for a reason. You know, McClanahan at South Florida has had Tommy John surgery. So there's I the wouldn't say players. it's out of the question that a third of the first round comes from this team. Yeah. Like it, now that I mean, Ten first-round picks would be exceptional. It would be exceptional. It's not out of the I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it, if it does happen, I won't be surprised. And we've had two drafts in the last four where the top three players have been high school. 2014, 2017, this high school class seems like it could challenge that or exceed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I might. I, I mean, this, these are some top ten pick talents well, see, on this team. And the thing I'd say with that is, is that it doesn't. It's not just that they'll go at the top, because you could have, depending on the draft class, you could have three guys go to the top, and three high school guys go one, two, three, but you may have another year where two high school guys go in the top three, but those two are. Significantly right. superior. That's what I'm talking about. Just for example, we just talked about, we talked about Cassis and Gorman. If you just compare those guys to Luke and Baker and Seth Beer, if you're looking for bat-only prospects, well, Gorman can play third base. <laughs> and Cassis might be able to play third base. He certainly can play third base. He's really a more accomplished defensive player than his college peers. So, I mean, like, the college players are more famous for the average draft follower. But Tristan Cassis and Nolan Gorman are just two high school bat examples where their corner power bats who have better resumes than their college counterparts. And those college counterparts are studs. Yeah. Seth Beer was awesome as a freshman, and so was Luke and Baker. And they're both good as sophomores. I'm not banging on those guys. I'm just saying these high school guys are better. Their yeah. wood bat track records are better. And their games, I think, are a little more well-rounded. Yes. Yeah, you know, especially when you take off three years you know, and of Bryce age. Ter- and Bryce Terang... Versus Nick Madrigal, those are that's a real that's a that's a fascinating discussion. Mm-hmm. I don't know Bryce Terrain well enough, but I know he's left-handed, plus runner. Now I, I got seven times on Nick Madrigal. Mm-hmm. I, let's face it, I'm in the bag for Elk Grove High right now, and I'm all about Nick Madrigal and 
you know, but it would be very unusual to have a 5-7-160 guy go 1-1. Yeah. And he, but for me, he's the best college guy. Magical. I, position player-wise. Because he's, I think he can play shortstop. He's a seven runner. If you're going to be little, be a seven runner. Mm-hmm. And we live in a world where the best player in Major League Baseball might be a five seven second baseman in Jose Altuve. I mean, the big thing with with those two that you're talking about category, is I, sorry. any scout that I've talked to about Bryce Terang is convinced he's going to play shortstop, and that's not the case with Madrigal. Whether correct personally, you're convinced that's he doesn't even play in his own team. Yeah, yeah, yeah but which King, is crazy. King King is I love good. I love King Green. Yeah, I mean but, both those guys. But that's yeah. exactly yeah. right, though. Yeah. Bryce Terang is more likely to be a shortstop. And he doesn't have a seven, I don't think, on the card. Does he have a seven? It's a lot of sixes. Well, the bat could be. Could be a seven. If you, if you Last think, year, this time, I would have I would have said absolutely it's a seven. Okay. And he so. struck out just once in this spring season. I want to keep reminding people yeah. that just one time. <laughs> and a very, very and, good and Again, league. and this is not <laughs> yeah, talking exactly. that he was playing in the Dakotas. Yes, he was playing in Southern California in one of the best leagues and in the country. And with a target, everybody knows this guy was on the 15U team. Three years ago, with Hunter Green and Royce Lewis on that team, so it's hard Mark to. I mean, it's hard to to wear that one-one target on your back for multiple years in a row. Right, everybody's looking for something, and everybody's like, "Oh, wait a minute, he's not one-one." Well, there's only one person who's one-one. Right, right, and and so just because he's not perfect over one day or five day stretch, I mean. Nobody is, you know. So, but it's little bit, you guys have him at 161, just like on, on the USA Baseball site, just like Nick Madrigal, 161. So, just I think Bryce is a little taller, right? Uh, Bryce is um, probably a little better hitter. But for everything that the college side has, hey, Brady Singer's awesome. Yeah, he was a man in Omaha, and he's a man most of the year. Ethan Hankins probably does it easier. Does it, he has easier velocity than Brady Singer? And he hasn't gone in there to take a physical and not and come out of it with the same. Brady Singer went in, got the physical, didn't have the same offer when he came out. Put right. it that way. Yeah. That has so they're just dings. I just think you go up and down the top of the college class. There are good players there. When you see their counterpart on the high school side, their counterpart on the high school side generally has a higher ceiling and fewer awards. And we're a year out, nine months out, but just me looking at it from afar. 264 days out. <laughs> that's why Carlos is the draft guy. That's 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 also that's a great answer. But I'm just looking at the top of this high school class. I'm just I think people need to prepare. And we wrote about this year when the draft was over. The risk reward is so more significant on the high school side. The, the the reward is greater. And to get a to get an ace at the top of the draft, you want to get an ace on your major league team. It's better to risk $7 million on Hunter Green or Mackenzie Gore or Ethan Hankins or Liberator than it is to do that in free agency and miss at $200 million. Yeah. So those guys don't even get to free agency. So um, I, I think baseball, if you're a draft fan, prepare for the 2018 draft to be high school heavy yeah. in the first round and especially in the first 10 picks. Some, somebody's going to get – somebody's going to get – around pick 20 a really good arm i mean mm-hmm. i mean there you, you just said two names there but i mean yeah i didn't mention still, wilcox i didn't mention yeah i mean it was wilcox and there's rocker jt ginn and jt ginn mason denberg mason denberg <laughs> has a chance to he be he sounds fascinating yeah and he's a great athlete with he's great stuff six four and can do a backflip standing up i don't know if we talked about this he can punt a football before. 60 something yards yeah, I mean, he's he's, a freak, man. yeah i mean and <laughs> 
you know, it, 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 nice punter it, reference. It, it, I haven't had a punter in the draft. I can remember like a big time punters into what? I mean, little Coleman? Brooks. I mean, no, only, little Brooks. only ten the people can go in the first ten picks. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Like we're, we're we're I mean we haven't you didn't say we've Ryan mapped out ten. You didn't say <laughs> Ryan Weathers. I mean like <laughs> no. All, all those guys are gonna go somewhere in the first round, and somebody's gonna get a really good player mm-hmm. in that. Like Shelby Miller went. Right. 20-something, yeah. 19th? Yes, something like that. I mean, I remember I was there. <laughs> and and so somebody's going to get a guy like that around that around that point. Yeah, it's a good class. So it's uh, it's exciting to uh, – it's exciting talent. And I, do, I really do think – I don't know if you guys touched on this while I was uh, stepped away, but the top of the U.S., it just seems like every year the 18U team gets a little bit better every year. And I know that there are questions when you see there's almost 30% of the minor leagues is – international right now but the top at the top of the draft class i feel like we're in a upward trend in this country the best the, the best players are better than they were 15 years ago they certainly seem like they're more skilled matt than their counterparts were i mean you were around 15 years ago but <laughs> is that some of the feedback that you get from sure. some old timers yeah yeah this is this is really fun to watch you know these guys and now they just got to continue to learn how to play and and, and put together team mentality, but the arms, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can't imagine that, that this isn't as good as it's been um, and continue to improve. I, I, I see what's out there, you know, coming up in the next couple of years, and, you know, I'm pretty excited about, you know, the teams that we have coming uh, for next year and the year after. But the, uh, but the bar's been set pretty <laughs> high by this 2017 club, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Now just go do it again, Matt. So uh, we'll ne- next event on the on the horizon, the NHSI, and we'll, we always look forward to that. Uh, the NHSI is going to be a lot of fun this year. We we got some some really good talent coming. I think you, you need to use more emoji type language for describing the NHSI. It's going to be lit. It's going to be <laughs> straight fire. Um, it sounds better than just fun. So it's going to uh, have it's going to have uh, six national team alumni alumni from this year. Um, and I, I think it'll have six or seven first rounders. Also fun. We look forward to we that. Look forward that to that that'll probably be the next time we try to podcast with you. But this was fun. So go back and revisit last year's pod. We did it uh, late September last year as well. No, we did it in October. October. Well, you told us that Royce Lewis was going to be the first pick in the draft. And, I did. And he was. So, uh, so who's going to be the first pick in the draft? <laughs> yeah, that's good. The question we got to ask. We don't know who has the first pick yet. Matt knew then. <laughs> Yeah, we don't know who has the first yeah. pick yet, so I, I can't. Philadelphia <laughs> Phillies and, and San Francisco San Giants. San Francisco Giants, Giants, Giants and uh, White Sox. Giants oh, the and Giants White Sox. have passed the Phillies oh, yeah. and losses. No, no, yeah. Mama. 57 They and still 90. are a half game back because they have two more wins but one more loss. So that's a tight race. Coming right White down Sox to the wire. White Sox are in that too. Yep. They are, but I, I trust in, in the Giants' ability to – to, to pull away from the pack because I, I think they're say really it, bad. A lot of it may depend on how many games they have left with the Dodgers. Yes, it might. So. <laughs> and I don't know which way that is. I would say that that would be to ensure they don't yeah, get the right. win. But now maybe, no, that will actually help them <laughs> to not get the number one pick. But uh, it was a lot of fun, Matt. Thanks for being uh, being here. Uh, uh, we'll put you on the spot next time for who goes number one. That, that prognostication looked really good last year. So. You sure you don't want to do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold my tongue on that one for a little bit longer. You were pretty good on it last year. It was uh, it, I used that line a lot. So for Matt Blood and Carlos Colazo and JJ Cooper, I'm John Manuel. I want to thank you again for tuning in today. Today's podcast was sponsored by Baseballism. Don't forget to shop now at baseballism.com and enter the offer code BA Ship 
to receive free shipping on your order. Visit baseballism.com to shop for hats, shirts, and more. We'll be back soon with another podcast here at Baseball America. So long, everybody. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.